Pastor, we just want to say thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you allow us to work together as a church. We're thankful that there's no important people and unimportant people, that every person has their place and importance in the body of Christ. Lord, we're thankful for your watch care over us, and we're thankful that even now you're working in in uh, hearts and lives uh, here in our church and even with the parking situation. We thank you for protecting as uh, Shirley traveled there to help uh, her family and, and witness to them. Thank you for keeping Andrew and Philip safe as they tried to be a blessing to Grandma and Grandpa Marshall. And, uh, Lord, we just want to say thank you for all your goodness and your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. And uh, put your bulletin or prayer list there in Deuteronomy 15 or bookmark. And um, then I want you to go to Luke Chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, Deuteronomy 15, and Luke chapter 17. And we'll start in Luke chapter 17. Now, we'll read verse 5. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase... Our faith. Now, how many would say, Pastor, I'm in agreement with the apostles. I could use an increase of faith. And, of course, the context there is in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 17. And he said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, if someone does something toward us, mean-spirited, and, and then they come back and they say, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I did that, forgive me, you would say, okay. But if they did it seven times in one day, how many of you would be saying, yeah, no problem? No, most of us would be, hey, there's something wrong here. This is... But how many of you have ever gone to the Lord seven times in a 24-hour period and said, Lord, I've sinned against thee, please forgive me? Uh, most every one of us. You see, there, there's a connection here. And Jesus put in the Lord's Prayer, and we're not going to take much time with it, He said, forgive those that have sinned against us. As, I mean, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Now, if God really did that, if God only forgave our sins the same way we forgive others, 
that'd be a pretty scary place for some people to call themselves Christians to be now, wouldn't it? And yet Jesus says, listen, this is the way it's supposed to be. And the disciples, in response to that, gave the right response. Lord, increase our faith. We're going to need more faith if we're going to do that. And then the Lord said, let's read on. Verse 6, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come in from the field, Go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank the servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now, those are some pretty hard words. Amen? This says, when we have done everything, Jesus is answering the disciples. They said, listen, we want you to increase our faith. And Jesus says, listen, if you want your faith to increase, here's what has to happen. I'm going to give you the example of a servant. If you had a servant in those days... And uh, they were out working in the field all day, feeding the cattle, doing the jobs. Most people in this day, this was an agricultural or agrarian society, they raised their own food. And I would challenge you to, to think about it. Uh, how much flour do you go through in a year? You know, how big of a field of wheat would it take to grow that flour, let alone harvest it, mill it, clean it, prepare it for storage? And that's only one item on the shopping list. If they did not grow it, they didn't eat it. They didn't have it. If they did not raise the animals... Uh, and, and all of those things, they would have no meat to eat. This is why in the Bible times, famine was such a horrible thing. I mean, this was a lot of labor. And, and he says, if you have a servant out there working in the field and doing these things, when they come in, do you tell them, oh, you've been working so hard, sit down, relax, let me feed you tonight. No, no. You told servant, hey, it's time to get dinner ready, and once you've done that, then you'll be done for the day and you can take care of yourself. It was the servant's job to serve. Right? Uh, the work day started about sun up, and often dinner was at sundown, so it would be several hours. I mean, we're talking about a 12, 14 hour day on a regular day. If there were extra things to done. It would be done. It could easily turn into a 16 or 17 hour day. 
Uh, I mean, a lot of people in America don't know what it means to work 16 hours. Uh, that's, that's not a fun thing to try. Uh, when I was in Bible college, some, uh, they had a period of time there to nursing home where they would have a um, second shift. And if, you, if they ask you to stay, uh, then you got time and a half. And so instead of three bucks an hour, you got five bucks an hour. Wasn't that great? And the problem was the first shift ended at 7 a.m. The second shift ended at 4 p.m. And so uh, that was my shift was 11 to 7. And uh, there were opportunities. And I remember one time they said, Pete, we really need you the next like three days. And I went in and talked to the school because it was uh, uh, chapels. And they said, now listen, we're going to give you all these demerits. I said, are you going to kick me out of school? And they said, No. I said, well, I'll take the demerits because I need to pay my bills and get out of school. But I'll tell you what, uh, three 16-hour days in a row, I was a zombie. And uh, because it's, it's tough work, physical work. And Jesus said, when you've done everything that's commanded, here's your attitude. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only, I've only broken even. I haven't made a profit for my master. Now, that's not a very pleasant attitude, is it? That, that borders on failure, does it not? But Jesus is trying to help us some, understand something. If we are going to live by faith... How many would say, Pastor, I want to live by faith? I do. If you're going to live by faith, you've got to get past you. Everybody wants a pat on the back today. Isn't that true? I mean, you go to the takeout store. You call them up on the phone, tell them what you want. You go to the store and pick it up, and they want a tip. Uh, Everybody wants to be commended. And I'm not against that. I know a lot of times people don't get a decent pay if there's no tips. But what I'm simply saying here is we're always looking for someone to pat us on the back and say, good boy, good girl, you've done a great job uh, and we're almost trained to work on a praise basis. And yet, here's what Jesus says, exactly the opposite. Because we've, start, we've got to turn over the authority that controls us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not mine. It's not yours. This is, this is what is being spoken of here. And, and now I want us to take this thought in mind and go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a passage that we have uh, alluded to on more than one occasion. But we're going to start in verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 15. 
It says, And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee, and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore, I command thee this thing today. So, here was the, the basis here. If a person fell into debt, maybe they had uh, tried to start their own business, we might say, or uh, for some reason uh, their crop failed or their house burned down or something like this and they found themselves indebted, there was, there was a way to solve that. There was a way to pay those bills. They would find... A, a person and who was willing to employ them for a period of six years, of actually seven years would be the length of the contract, and in the seventh year, they would be free. So you would sell your labor. And the thing is, when you sold that labor, you got the money up front. And you took that money to the people that you owed your bills to, and you paid all your debts, and then for the next seven years, you were at charge of the person who paid all your bills off. That doesn't sound like too bad of a program, does it? Uh, Far better than the indentured servitude that we had here in the colonies before the United States became a nation. Uh, That was left over from England and that was abolished. Basically, that was the slavery of the North. Uh, is you would uh, actually buy and sell people. And it wasn't for seven years. Uh, it was a very, very bad thing for the person who was the indentured servant. Uh, but this was God's way of dealing with poverty, of dealing with human failures. You could sell your services for a period of up to seven years. And uh, when you left, you were to get a bonus. If you'd been working in the field and taking care of the animals, the, the master would then give you uh, uh, probably uh, three or four maybe sheep so that you'd get a mama and daddy to have little sheeps and you would have one to take care of. And it would give you a brand new start in life. Food to keep you going until your own harvest could come in. And so this was a, a, a wonderful thing that God had invented. But then we read on. So let's go down here to, to um, verse 16. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. Now, that doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? And if you read the parallel passage in Exodus chapter 21, it, it would say that the 
the owner of the house, if he had uh, a, a male servant, let's say, who had pledged his services, he had paid him, and, and now he was fulfilling his term, and maybe three or four years into that, he finds uh, uh, one of the other uh, servants in the man's house, a lady servant, very attractive, and they decide that maybe, and the owner gives them permission to get married. Um, all of these things could play into being. And if he said, listen, I want to live here. I want a permanent job. You, you, everybody talks about job security, right? If, if there is one thing that we do not have today, it is job security. Uh, it's just not in the American economy. Uh, at this point, I remember talking to a fellow years ago. He was in the uh, bus driver's union. He said, we're striking for job security. I said, wait a minute. Is the city of New York going to stop running buses? Are you worried about that? And, and he looked at me kind of strange. I said, they're not going to stop running buses. I said, and they're not going to stop hiring bus drivers. I said, whatever your union's doing is bogus. <laughs> because they're not getting rid of buses in New York City in our lifetime. Uh, there is nothing to replace them. You're going to have a job as long as there's a bus. And, and you don't do drugs or you don't have a wreck or you don't do something crazy and assault a passenger or something. As long as you... Keep your. It's, what are you striking for? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's who's going to be in charge, the union or uh, the bus company. And uh, these battles go on and on. But if you want job security in the land of Israel, all you had to do is say, listen, the only thing I'm ever going to make is minimum wage. And I don't do very good on my own. Do you realize that it wasn't just up to the servant here, the owner had to willingly participate. The master had to willingly hire this person. I mean, if you were a lazy bum and didn't do your work, do you think the master was going to go through his part of this to claim you forever and have to put up with you uh, for your entire life? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. What this was, was lifetime employment. He had to feed him, give him a place to live, and take care of the clothes to wear. And, and by the way, this has always been, you know, part of the argument. Why would an employer, especially in a situation like this, want his servant to look like a vagabond and homeless and all of these things, because it would be a reflection on the master, wouldn't it? So he would want to take care of his servant in such a way that people thought well of the master. Can we say amen to that? And here is the example. These were laws that were enacted. This was a practice in the land of Israel. 
And if you walk down the street, you could actually see people. If somehow we get in a time machine and go back, you would see people who would have their earlobe, literally a mass of scar tissue. Now today we have people with rings in their ears and, and, and piercings and all kinds of incredible things, 15 on this side and 25 on that side. And, and uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not against jewelry, but let's, let's uh, uh, let your moderation be known to, unto all men. How about that? And, uh, but these people would be scarred for life. I mean, could you imagine? How many of you know what an awl is? An awl is a needle for sewing leather. It usually has a handle on it that fits in your hand. And the needle, the, the one my grandmother had, had a needle that big and as big around as a pencil wet. And you could push uh, uh, the needle through the leather and pull a, a, a quarter-inch leather strap in there through that. And you could actually uh, sew or lace up uh, two pieces of leather together. It was great for fixing baseball gloves and belts and, and other things. And, and so this would have been something that every household would have had. And they would have taken you to the court, the the gate, the post at the center of town, and you take your ear and put it up against that post, and yeah, it would hurt. Uh, it hurt a lot, I would think. I imagine it would take several weeks for it to finally heal, and the servant would be scarred for life. Anybody that saw them would say, hey, that guy is a willing servant. He has given his life, his freedom, to his master. Now, in our modern-day America, what would be your first thought if you met someone with the torn earlobe? What a loser. He couldn't make it on his own. That's our sarcastic way of looking at things. You know what the first thought ought to be? What a master this man must have that he's willing to surrender his entire future to give his life to serve him. It should be a reflection not on the inability or the failure of the servant, but on the success and the goodness of the master. Are we together on that? And this is an illustration, because I want to just read a couple of verses real quick here. Romans 1.1 Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Excuse me. Do you know that the word servant there in Romans chapter 1 is the same word in the Greek as it was in Deuteronomy with the all, and it, it meant slave, servant. Uh, Paul reiterates that in Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. James 1.1, James, a servant of God, same word. 
Second Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you get where we're going tonight? The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you want your faith increased, you've got to understand that a servant serves and doesn't get thanked and doesn't get rewarded and doesn't get all these things. They just do the work. And Paul and Peter and uh, James here all use that term referring to themselves and their relationship with God. Now, when you got saved, what did you give the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything? Did you give him all your past sins? If you didn't, you didn't get saved. Did you give him all your future sins? If you didn't, you didn't get saved. You, you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And just like the willing servant in this story, he said, I love my master. It is well with me. I don't want to go work my own job. I'd rather work for this master. How many of you remember how hard it was with your life struggling on your own? Making your own decisions and trying to take care of your own sin and, and the failures and the frustration of this life. You remember the way it was? How many of you like the change that Jesus brought into your life? We say amen to that. You see, this is the picture. Willing servitude. And what is that going to do? It will increase your faith. Why? Because you no longer have the right of self-determination. As a child of God, it is Jesus that now has the right to determine what is going to happen or not happen in your life. And I always like to ask this question because I just want you to think about it. Who's going to do a better job of determining what you do in your life, you or Jesus? Now that that's not too hard of a question to answer now, is it? Of course Jesus is. He knows the future. He knows everything. He, he can only desire what is best in our lives. Can we say amen to that? And so what we need to do is we need to grab a hold of this willing service because the attitude of the willing servant does not reflect nearly as much on the servant as it does on the master because it tells people that my master is so good 
that I would do far better being his servant and living at his direction than I would living at my own direction. Not very much different than many what we would call contracts of employment, but they're not lifetime as this was. This was a willing decision that was made. And the master, when he undertook this, as he took that person publicly to the, um, that, that post and put the all through his ear, and I mean, there was blood on the post, and it was uh, not a pleasant thing. It was very painful, but it would heal quickly. A couple weeks. He would be reminded every time he saw that servant, I pledge to take care of this person for the rest of their life. That's quite a responsibility, isn't it? And yet, what has the Lord Jesus Christ said about us? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It says, if we believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny his own. If you are saved, you are saved forever through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Is there anything I could do in this life or a hundred lifetimes that could pay Jesus back for what he's done for me? Absolutely not. But here's what he says. If I'll adapt that attitude, this is the least I can do to serve my Lord. I'll be faithful where I'm planted. I will walk with Him at His direction. The Bible says He's going to increase our faith. And there's not a one of us that couldn't benefit from a little more faith. Amen? And so, I want you to think about this willing service, this willing enslavement, this surrender of my rights and my freedoms so that my Master would put His mark on me and claim me as His lifelong servant. Lifelong slave. We don't like that word. I'm not in bondage to any man, like the children of Israel said as the Roman soldiers walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem. They were enslaved at that very moment. Uh, we, we say, well, we live in America. We're free. Try not paying your taxes for a little while and see what happens. Uh, let me tell you something. There's a lot of freedoms that have been lost, but we're not here to debate that tonight. Here's what we are to do. You see, I, being a free man, surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I become his servant, his slave. Amen? And if I am in bondage, if I'm a, I don't have my freedom, this is what Paul told the Corinthians, you don't have your freedom, and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, guess whose servant you really are? 
You're the Lord's free man because he sent you free from the bondage of man. Did that mean that the slave could revolt against his master and not do his work? Absolutely not. But what it meant was his first authority, his first line of obedience was not to his physical master, but was to Jesus Christ. And I I can't help but just repeat this theme a little bit. Psalm 119.89 I've seen the, uh, I've seen all perfection. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. I have more freedom as Jesus' servant than I ever could have trying to serve myself. Could we say amen to that? I'll have more freedom walking in the narrow road than I could ever experience on the broad way that leads to destruction. I mean, we live in New York City. We live in a place where you can see where Broadway leads. What is the statement of New York City? There's a light on Broadway for every broken heart of someone trying to make it there. Uh, something along those lines. Uh, I don't think there's enough lights on Broadway to mark all of the broken lives of people who have tried to make it big on Broadway. I don't think they have that many lights. But Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Brother Clayton was talking about a yoke. It's, it's a bond. They literally uh, locked two animals together. If you put a mismatched team in a yoke, those animals would pull against each other until one of them was dead. Jesus says, you've got to willingly take my yoke. Now, could you imagine... Sharing the burden with Jesus? Who's going to carry the burden? Well, Jesus is, isn't he? Who's going to do most of the pulling? Well, Jesus is, isn't he? And I'm the beneficiary. You're the beneficiary. When I give up my freedom and my choices and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll increase my faith. And we can see God work in our lives. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask you to bless our time of prayer here. And Lord, help us to see and to live that attitude properly so that we could understand your love and your your greatness that you want to give to us. We ask that in this next few moments of silence that we would once again reaffirm our surrender and our service to you. Before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano again. Just a few moments to think and pray about those things. And then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.